0: Hello and welcome to the Weekend Review. I'm Michael Curzon. I'm joined as always by Luke Perry. Luke, how are you?
1: I, I'm very well. Unfortunately, we do not have Esty here, so I must comment on the weather. Yep. Uh, it's it's uh, the, the end of August, near the end of summer. Very cloudy. Not as hot as it once was, unfortunately.
0: Thank you. You've just lost all of our listeners, as always. Um, now, this is episode 34 we're on now, and uh, you and me, Luke, have, have missed... Probably between us a good six or seven episodes, I reckon. But Sam, up until this point, had a a very good streak, um, which he has now ruined. Uh, But you'll be pleased to hear we've got a a very good replacement. This week we've got joined with us Frederick Edward. Frederick, how are you? Very
2: well. I'm afraid that I've missed the previous 33, so my record isn't great, but happy to be
0: here. That's true. We're both doing better than you are. Now, we've done a good job uh, for the Week in Review, where we talk about the news of the week gone by, to get in somebody who has... Been off the news cycle for the past week because you've been travelling in Russia.
2: Yeah, I've been in the depths of Siberia, so I'm not sure what's going on. People have been talking about this coronavirus or something. <laughs> Could you please explain it to me?
0: I think we might touch on it. In fact, we'll we'll start on that as the first story. We'll talk more about Russia a little bit later. Uh, but yes, yeah, so we'll we'll start with the the COVID vaccine, um, which I think uh while me and luke have missed some weeks has been talked about for pretty much 34 weeks on the show uh non-stop but here we are again now the the move to mandate vaccines um has been going forward again this week it seems never to go backwards um and in particular we've seen that there's more and more talk around the vaccination of care home staff um the fact that about six in 10 care homes say they could end up having to sack a load of their staff because of the vaccine mandates isn't seeming to stop the government. Um, The news of Care home shortages in terms of staff also doesn't seem to be stopping the government in its tracks for mandatory vaccination. In fact, instead, it seems to it boosts their efforts, if anything. It makes them want to apply even more pressure uh, to say, look, if you don't get vaccinated, then we're going to see shortages in your field. People are going to be hurt because of it. And it'll be your fault, not the government's fault, for making these people get sacked in the first place. So what do you think about this? I mean, we we had. Many many months before the vaccine was available, where these workers were essentially putting themselves at risk by being in uh, probably the biggest COVID hotspots in the country, in, in the care homes, um, and we were giving them our praise and saying how we should, you know, always treat them with respect because of it. And now we're threatening to sack them if they don't in, uh, take in this vaccine. What's our thoughts on this? Well. Uh-
1: clapping on the doorstep every Thursday evening last year was always an exercise in virtue signalling and uh, the government of course in its zero Covid carpet bombing efforts is is willingly to will willingly um, see its people as expendable as much of the western world has done in turn and but what we also need to talk about in terms of what is not stopping the government from doing this is the court system. One of the most vital checks and balances in a democracy is acting rather like the Labour Party, in um falling in line to the government's whim. And um, of course, the, the COVID, the, the pandemic and lockdowns have seen power coalesce to, to such a degree that do we really even call, call ourselves a free country anymore, protected by the, the rule of law and all these other archaic values? And um, I'm, I'm sure that th- this will no doubt go ahead.
0: Well, remember the time of Brexit where Gina Miller was knocking on the Supreme Court's door every five minutes saying, hang on a minute, I've got a problem with this. And rightly so, actually, that was her right. And she, she tried to help, uh, hold the prime minister and the government to account. And you've got to give her some credit for that. Why aren't we seeing the same in this case where we've had the whole economy, schools and uh, all aspects of our lives shut off for months on end? Yet nobody seems to be questioning it. The the few people in that sort of uh, arena who do like Lord Jonathan Sumption are hounded as being lunatics because of it. There's absolutely no respect granted to those who uh, try and question some of the some of the uh, really totalitarian measures which have been taken in response to COVID.
2: Well, we might also remember these people who are being threatened with mandatory vaccination are pretty much on the bottom of the pile in terms of, you know, how much they get paid. Mm. Barely above the minimum wage. Yeah. They're essential workers. They're not represented by anybody. You know, where's the Labour Party saying that these key workers, not being paid very much, are effectively having their bodily autonomy violated against yeah. their will? Yeah. And there's nobody there making that argument. And it's this kind of... Um, you can make these, it's the resort to these emotional arguments, it's don't kill gran on steroids, it's don't yeah. kill grand blown up a thousand times, yeah, every care home, and yeah, and of course, at the beginning of the pandemic, they sent all of the people back into the care homes where the coronavirus spread like wildfire, so you know, it's, it's all depressingly familiar territory where the voiceless people are just trod on, and yeah.
0: And you and would think that in this era, it's people like us who are holding the banners, reading "My Body, My Choice." That really, that really isn't important. Well, oh, you know, yeah, exactly. Up the workers! I never thought I'd say it, but here I am. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's not just in Britain, of course. This is this is happening around the world where workers, even if they're not being told you'll get sacked if you don't get the vaccine, they're being told, for example, by Delta Airlines in the US, that if you don't get the vaccine, you'll have to pay every single month $200 in a health insurance surtax. Uh, That's if they don't get the vaccine. And in Germany, Hamburg, I think they say is the first sort of city there um, to announce that businesses are allowed to impose Uh, vaccine mandates on customers and indeed on their staff, Um, which itself is bad, but I think the really interesting point is that they say the businesses that don't choose to do this, so choose there in air quotes, businesses that don't choose to impose vaccine checks will still have to carry on with uh, social distancing, with masking, with all other sorts of restrictions that really hamper the amount of business that can go on. Uh, but those businesses that bar unvaccinated people can actually return slightly more to normality. So it's, it's one of those uh, skewed sort of mafia type choices that we've talked about in many of the mm. episodes, where you're, you're given a choice, but only one of them is uh, something you want to do, and the other is actually more likely to harm you than to do you any good.
1: Uh, i'd like to point out uh, another example from, from from the heart of liberal america quinnipack university in connecticut which is to find student find unvaccinated students two grand and probably a, a bigger punishment for young people shut off the the student wi-fi right. so it, it's and this is done in the absence of government There there, there may be a a Liberal government, that that is on the side of lockdown sceptics, but it it would still have to deal with this very dominant and very threatening culture. And um, it's it's the head of the hydra. The the government is against liberty, but but so are all these private corporations, so is culture in general.
0: Yeah. How do you escape? A lot of this has stemmed this week. I think the reason there's been more talk of vaccine mandates, especially in the US is because of the, the FDA's approval of the Pfizer vaccine, which, by the way, I'm, I'm reading differing reports on. Um, obviously, the media reported this as being, uh, the Pfizer vaccine has been fully approved, it's now safe to use, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of what I've been reading suggests that um, the approval of uh, these drugs by these health organisations um, are slightly more complicated. And that the specific Pfizer vaccine which has been given approval is actually a different one to that which is currently in circulation i'm not saying that as gospel because i'm I, it's something i'm still reading up on and want to check on but regardless after the uh, the approval if we'll call it that of the pfizer vaccine biden basically said do what i do tell your uh, workers if you own a business that if you don't get the vaccine you will face penalties you will face restrictions Um, You might even lose your job. So that's it. It really is one of those things where it's being driven by the government, then, of course, supported by the media, which never offers a critical eye on this and is always supportive Um, and more scarily then driven forward by businesses and neighbours who ask uh, critical questions if you've decided not to take the vaccine.
2: Yeah, it's it's seemingly just a you know a drive to see who how many people will abide by any government regulation put you know forward to them. That's what I find most uh, galling now. As someone that so my position personally is I've already had COVID nineteen. I've had the antibodies test, and I'm producing well enough antibodies to stop down a wet market in Wuhan. And you know, and if the purpose of vaccination is to give one antibodies i already have that so it's just for me it's not even a question of shall i take it or not it feels more like well well, it is that question but it's i I, against my own interest just because i'm being told to do it repeatedly and if i don't do it my life will be made more challenging i'll be cut off from the normal patterns and you know of everyday life and it's it's, it's, this that's that's for me the most challenging question is if the point of this is antibodies then why uh, why am I being asked to take it when I already have them? And I find this it, so—it's it's just an attempt at coercion. And who's going to crack first, the public or the governments? And we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I fear the, you know, there's going to be a creation of a two of a two tier system. You see it you know, if they're saying shops and places can only operate if you know with COVID certification, etc. All we're going to do is create a divided system where there's shops serving people without without vaccines, or like you saw in France, actually, with people on the streets. Uh, eating and drinking outside of restaurants that demanded to see, you know, the COVID vaccines. You think, well, is this really a path you want to go down? And if it is, you know, why why does the government want to pursue this policy? If it is anything other than, it It strikes me as just a blind attempt at
0: coercion. Mm. And yeah. Well, Nick, you sent a study before we started talking, which I think links to, to what Frederick just said. Do you want to talk a bit about that as well?
1: Mm. Uh, yes. Um, the the field of, of experts, which... Contrary to popular belief, it actually exists on both sides of the debate. One side of the experts is saying that um, herd immunity is 19% more effective than vaccines. Now, this study has yet yet to be peer-reviewed, but uh, what is showing is, um, well, essentially common sense. If, if, like, Frederick, as you've had COVID-19, you have had pretty much the full deal, the the vaccine and i think this might get this um this censored from youtube but we'll go with it and the the vaccine is a mimicking of the virus it's it's replicates the spike protein which is found within the disease and that of course allows for the creation of antibodies which battles covid but it's also i I think representative of um how how naturally strong the immune system actually is because much of the rhetoric around vaccines it's it seems to forget that people that the human body has its own defense weapons it's it's, this pandemic has just seemed to have caught people off guard that um that they do have an immune system of of their own and that the vaccine is not one weapon against covid
2: Uh I think the uh, the study that you're referencing I have in front of me says vaccinated people are 13 times as likely to be infected and 27 times more likely to have symptomatic infections as matched with a cohort that was previously infected with COVID-19. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, as you, all the caveats, as you mentioned, hasn't been peer reviewed and et cetera, et cetera, but we don't expect it to be get much coverage.
1: It, it would be like the um, the mask study produce yeah. in Denmark <laughs> that was just full-on buried by um Silicon Valley
0: absolutely well I think I think on that we, we've we probably gone slightly over the time on the first topic so we will move on to the second which I'm afraid listeners is also with with Luke Perry so we're, we're going back to him Luke you're going to tell us about uh the woes of students following many months of lockdown
1: so yeah um young people haven't had the greatest of time i, I, I myself was in you was in my final year university during a year of covid and zoom seminars were not fun and i stopped going to 90 percent of them so students essentially have faced a double whammy their education has been disrupted so they haven't learned that the modules the course haven't really applied themselves academically, haven't been able to to test themselves in an examination. And the second part, equally important, is that their their general life skills have been disrupted, their communication skills, the ability to empathize. So of course, when they're ferried off to university, this is, well, the universities have noticed that um, the students of the previous two years aren't as prepared intellectually as students before. And uh, cousin, I, I know you uh, escaped the University of Birmingham b- before me, but my year had to do uh, bridging coursework because, of course, the latter year was chopped off for us. And of course, the, the situation is is much more drastic for uh, the cohort going to university. Yeah. And so students have had to introduce socialisation issues and, and modules, and. Uh, I'm reading your piece for lockdowns. Universities also have to give catch-up sessions to help make up for the amount of learning loss during school closures. And um, of course, as I've said before, the um, academic side is is not the only problem. Uh, from my, um, my from my article for the everything A um, A's and
0: A now. <laughs> yeah, that's yes,
1: it. Th- 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 throw a crystal ball. But, yeah, as I was saying. Um, Antidepressant usage has has been through the roof with with this demographic. They they've been socially isolated with n- no hope of alleviating that issue because the cause of their issue, which is the cause of the problems, which is isolation, has, has continued to become law, and um, that this I don't think will just affect university students. It will. It's it's like a spiral, isn't it? It hasn't just affected the sixteen-year-olds; it's affected the fourteen-year-olds, the twelve-year-olds, the ten-year-olds, and um, we'll see these problems arise for many years to come.
0: Yeah, well, there's a there's a study released recently actually on babies during, uh, born during lockdown, um, which I think again is in its early stages because it's only just happened, but. Some of the preliminary research suggests that um, babies who have been born over the past eighteen months have uh, lower IQs as as one measure, but also uh, lower functionality in terms of uh, being able to read responses from other people, um, other sort of functions. I'm not aware of all the the jargon they'd use for it, but it's unsurprising that that children born at this time would would let's say grow up and in their younger years be less comfortable with socializing because when you think about it they've been brought up at a time where they're not allowed to see the children of their parents friends say who you'd normally socialize your own children with every time they've been out of the house uh people they've seen say shops um which is the only place it was open for a long while uh were masked up so you couldn't see people's responses i mean in some hospitals they did actually force women who were giving birth to wear face masks so the very first thing that these children saw was a masked person, which I think itself is, is fairly illustrative of this time. Um, and in the cohorts who are slightly older, children who are about five, six, when they were having to return to school, there were reports of them having panic attacks um, in certain areas because, again, they were scared about the idea of making friends. It was something that was foreign to them because the most important months of their lives had been taken away. And, and go on, Frederick.
2: No, it's just a period of time, or a, a continuing period of time where the basic realities of our world that we thought governed our world are being systematically denied. We all know that humans are social animals. The reason you put prisoners in isolation is to punish them. You deprive them of social activity and social connections, and they slowly lose their marbles. That's the you know, that's part of the punishment. And yeah. to do that to children over a prolonged period of time. You know, just in the period where they are developing all these skills as you say is borderline cruelty and it's this you know but that's that's been the whole policy throughout this thing it's it's the sacrifice of the young for the old uh, a cohort of people anybody under the age of what 70 okay i, I do not know the precise but anybody young is a very low risk from this virus and they and, and the prime of their life they've all been sacrificed for a generation who you know i've seen the best of their days it's just a total inversion of what civilisation or society should be focusing on if you sacrifice the youth now then you know that the children are the future to borrow the uh to use the actual uh, sort of hackneyed phrase but it's, it's just a bizarre period of time and what a, what a surprise that people are going mental for months on end who, who could have predicted that
0: yeah and as as you said luke in in the study that you've been been reading this isn't just the children who have been born during this period or the four and five year olds who are going into reception even people who are just about to begin university so late teens uh, approaching their 20s have been suffering from these problems um, and have had to have sort of remedial lessons in socialization I, t- I don't know yet exactly what it is they're going to be taught in them but it's sort of a interesting idea that people of that age should have to be taught how to engage with other people
1: it it's it's like what what um you reference quite often when referring to education that schools now need some toothbrush assistance because they've not been taught properly at the home. Well, this is a similar thing for that. Now, children haven't been children, young people haven't been taught, haven't experienced proper socialisation because that that's been denied to them. Not not really through the family, but through you know state well, decree. Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, so of course the education world is, has to pick up the slack. Yeah, and
2: it happens. Well, they've shown happens
0: no interest in so. doing so
2: so far. Sorry? Yeah. Yes. Well, the te- no, teaching unions, universities, so this whole thing, they've shown zero interest in education. Yeah. So, I, or, and all in the welfare of their students or the people they're supposed to be in charge of. Teaching unions are primarily concerned with um, make, ensuring that teachers do as little work as possible mm. by as far as I can see. So, yeah. Very yeah, good duty across society. Yeah
0: their efforts were concerned on making the schools be closed for as long as possible it seems and when they did open for children to have to wear masks and to carry on social distancing so as to make education more and more difficult forever on well uh having ended that segment on another high note which we always do on the week it's always very jolly i think we'll go on to a, a slightly lighter topic and as we say it's the first time we've done this where it's not at the beginning so much uh, about news that's been happening, but more about what our writers have actually been doing over the past week. So, Frederick, we'll go over to you and your journey around Russia.
2: Yeah, well, so I'm recently back in the UK, now in government-mandated quarantine. But I was for about the last year, for anybody who doesn't know, in Russia. And over the last couple of weeks, I travelled from St. Petersburg, so on the Baltic coast, through russia along the volga river the main archery supporting russia and one of the main industrial parts of russia as well and made my way into siberia uh, which was in equal parts enlightening frustrating and exhausting mm. so sum it up
0: absolutely well you've, you've written on this in our in our latest issue um which uh, a great piece and very amusing as well. The different stories you tell, so listeners can can catch up fully there. But I think the, the reason we wanted to talk about this is because it, it it does also actually link into the to the lockdown story of you know before essentially the, the 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 coming in of of lockdowns in March 2020. It was pretty regular for most working people to wake up quite early and to spend. Uh, a good amount of time, probably too long, travelling to their place of work first, likely by public transport for at least part of the journey. Um, and all of that, it seems, has probably changed now because of what's happened. And you know companies are are slowly phasing their workers back into the office, but a lot have said that they want to carry on with people working from home at least a few days of the week. So I think uh, you know it's, what what do we what do we think of that as a system? I mean, I've, i' I was always, in my head against that sort of system where people work from home it's not something i like the idea of but having talked to a lot of people who do spend most of their lives commuting <laughs> i've been forced slightly to see slightly different angle on it
2: if i can you know just elaborate on the train thing uh, being on russian trains you know they're very they travel long distances so they have to have a degree of comfort involvement traveling from so i'm in northampton traveling from northampton to london Euston on a kind of commuter I oh, know cattle train. It's just an abomination, and it costs. You know, for the, the distance you travel, you pay as much as you might travel for. You know, one hour in Northampton to London, you travel for twenty-four hours for the same cost in Russia. And so there's, there's, it's just the the experience all around in traveling by train in England. I find just abominable. It's expensive. It's unreliable. It's it's not glamorous. Okay, that's not the that's not the key issue. But yeah, the, the whole shuffling of millions of people inside and outside of London every day for years and years doesn't seem to make much sense there needs to be in this post-COVID world of opportunity needs to have an actual development of the region so everybody always talks about it and they're always saying they're going to move I don't know a government department to Derby and that's going to solve all the issues but actually like states in Europe say for example Germany they've got multiple different cities that people wouldn't mind moving to. But if you did, like, you go to Frankfurt or Munich or I don't know, Essen or Berlin, whatever. In England, you have to, if you want to be successful, you need to go to London. If you don't live in London, the people look down on you. Hillbillies like us, or me, okay. I'm speaking for you from Northampton personally, there needs to be a revival of these areas. Yeah, Midlands pride, finally. Yeah, so just returning to the system that we have been living under with just London being this kind of balloon that inflates and deflates every day with millions of souls going in and out seems slightly mental to me personally as someone who has fears that kind of life and has spent most of his life trying to avoid it maybe I'm alone so the working from home does appeal but not without some caveats of course
0: yeah I think a sort of a middle ground is 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 needed here because I mean I've worked from home over the past 18 months and there are pros to it but in general, it it can make the working day feel a lot longer because you're being slightly more lazy and it's it's hard to um, get yourself motivated to work. But also I think the biggest problem is not having other people doing the work around you. There's no riff raffing, there's no talking, there's no building off ideas, which I think is a struggle. Um, But of course, the way it was not just before lockdown, but before, probably before before the age of cars, was that people would commute to work but that they'd do so locally they'd work in their local area people moving from the north of the country to the south every single day just to work in an office for a few hours was uh less heard of back then um which i think is a more preferable system and, and perhaps by moving um by moving certain institutions to different cities around the country that could help to alleviate that problem it wouldn't it might be that it wouldn't be impossible to to live in Derby and to work near Derby as well, but in a proper big uh, firm, which used to have been placed in, in London. So, I mean, that's, that's sort of, I think, something- But of course more...
2: we've, we've armed people with the perfect excuse of never returning to the office because we are living in the most dangerous pandemic in the whole of human history. Yeah. And so we are, you know, employers are gonna to struggle to get anybody back. And, and, it, and with furlough and all this kind of things in sort of global scale, I was reading about the Taiwanese chip factories where they basically lock the employees indoors to keep up with global demand for chips—not um, crisps. I mean, like you know, microchips, yeah. and um, not yeah, oven chips. And um, and they don't and they don't let them out. And they have to sleep in dormitories. And they're basically slaves. And we're saying like, oh, do I have to go into the office one day a week? Is that really going to? Oh, four. you know, yeah. how do, <laughs> how does that system prop itself up in the long run? That's my uh, concern.
0: Yeah, well, of course, the, the businesses themselves, I think, in many cases, don't want people to return to the office because it's an added cost. It's much cheaper to have people, you know, having their office space in their own home rather than paying to hire up this massive building or however many floors for people to get a- Or come in Bangalore. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And there's a really interesting, uh, uh, by which I mean sort of terrifying, uh, new office, <laughs> which has been designed <laughs> by some people in uh, Bucharest, I think, um, sort of a new covid age office where you there's no door handles anywhere you just flash your hand in front of something and the door magically opens and uh, there's these covid scanners where it scans your body quickly to see if you're covid free and if you are you can walk you, into the office yeah. if uh, you, if, you have it you
2: have covid you take another back and shot is that right
1: well it's it's not far off that, It's romania it? yeah there's a there's a separate
0: <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna get barred for that as well. It's <laughs> a room you get put in, I think, uh if you're if you're shown to be negative, where someone comes in sort of fully armoured in in the whites and you know, making sure they're completely safe and you're properly tested at that point rather than by some scanner. And if you are positive, then you're essentially escorted out of the building. It, you're not shot at this stage just yet, maybe another 50 years, <laughs> years. But I I do I do sort of think um, you know, I've a few places where i might be working at some stage where i'd be required to go into the office and as i say I, the the idea of working in an office i am appealed to for whatever reason maybe it's because i've only ever done it for a few weeks i don't i've not actually got the gist of it um, but i must say if the office is going to end up being like that then actually i think i would rather stay at home so at least i don't have to stand in front of a um, what's, the,
2: what's the cost on a business of having a Carbo cur- futuristic COVID compliant office area. I mean, what's the you know the cost on Just the amount of regulation on it's just bizarre, and it could only be dreamt up by someone, a bureaucrat sitting somewhere in a office in government, thinking, "Oh,
1: what does what? Yeah. Who, who doesn't have and a similar be- office set up and is glad? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, oh, he'll work from home, I'm sure. Well, I think there was actually a cost by because th- this is something that had just been designed, and they were trying to flog it to. To companies around the world and some have actually taken it up including in the uk amazingly but it was you know for the full installation which they were offering it was nearing uh i'm pretty sure it was over a million to, and, and probably more than that if you to go you know to have the i've got a
2: good, I've got a good sort of business solution for you don't download any apps and don't take any tests and hey presto you're
0: covid free there you go exactly yeah. oh yeah i mean we're seeing the the ping pingdemic, pingdemic sorry sort of slightly coming to an end as we're not having to test as much now uh, in, in terms of workplaces and you don't have to scan in on places. Although I, I don't understand why people ever did in the first place. It's sort of bizarre to me uh, that you'd put yourself at that risk of, of damaging your own prospects. Um, but, I mean, we've still got the issues of shortages. And, uh, yeah, the earlier story of vaccine mandates is only going to make that worse as well for, for So This
2: is been very strange for me being outside of the UK for such a long time during this period in Russia there's a good quote So Russia, in Russia they're trying to introduce laws about people having Covid passports and QR codes and all that kind of thing it all sounds very serious but there's a good quote from somebody in the 18th century saying that the severity of of Russia's laws are only outmatched by their lack of enforcement and so in Russia the general the whole attitude towards Covid has just been one giant rolling of the eyes and you wear, you walk, you go into somewhere that requires a mask. You strap it across your chin. the security guard sees that it's sore around your face, and that's it. And it's and it's very odd to come back. You know, the first thing I had when I came come back was somebody officious saying, "Please cover your mouth and nose with your mask." Yeah, it didn't happen in a whole year of being in Russia. I, I once had a grandma shout at me for ignoring masks. <laughs> well, you must a- have been Yeah.
0: Well, I know where I'm moving. I was, I was going to say when we're talking about offices, if we were ever to 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 get offices for the magazine, we'd put them in Birmingham. But maybe we should put them in Saint Petersburg. It sounds like we'd be more welcome. It's cheaper. <laughs>
1: it's it's not not going to lie, they they. I think they find um, the Russian opposition leader. What was he called? Alex Navalny. Navalny. I
2: yeah,
1: yeah that, I think they find Navalny less in Russia than they find than they find two people in this country for having a snowball fight. Right? So. <laughs> If, if we're looking at a liberty aspect, the, the, the Russian bear is looking much more friendly than um you know the, the Birmingham police state, but only when a law's not broken. Mm. That's
2: true. Yeah, so yeah, the, the pettiness of British law is only outweighed by the severity of enforcement. That'd be the counterpart for us.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. I think um, we've actually ended there on a, a slightly more positive note. We know where our... Yeah, we're moving to, to Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Oh, a a different... Shame
2: for you is you can't see my Russian icon I just bought of the Romanov family from the church where they were they were murdered in the church. The church on the sites that which they were murdered.
0: Oh great, it's you've crazy. just brought us right back to a downer At least they weren't killed oh, by. Wow,
2: guys. it's a it's a lovely icon.
0: Yeah, good. At least something good came of it. Well, uh, Frederick, thanks <laughs> very much for for joining us this week. Appreciate you uh, coming on for the no, coming on for the episode. And thank you, Luke, as always. And thank you everybody for listening. We'll join you again next week. Cheers.